All right, welcome everybody. Uh, again, Nelson Tusa with me today. Um, if, if you're not aware of who Nelson is, uh, you probably haven't done a lot of high stakes fantasy. So uh, Nelson is an absolute legend in the game, uh, winner of multiple big time contests, uh, as well as uh, many huge uh, private sized leagues, which are standalones. So um, I, Nelson and I were kind of talking a little bit last week about um, our player exposures and and uh, I, sh I shared with mine with him and he shared his with me and we just decided hey this would be a fun podcast to uh, just come talk about him a little bit so welcome Nelson thanks for coming on thanks for having me Dan I definitely when you proposed that I I thought it was actually uh, an interesting topic to talk about and because I, I think there's a little bit of I, I don't know how many people pay attention throughout draft season as far as what they have for exposure in certain players and, you know, by round and things like that. And, or if they even, you know, care about that. Um, but I, I definitely think if you're somewhat of a, a volume player, um, I, I think, and what I mean by volume is like, if, you, if you're doing like a handful of drafts, I think you just draft your guys that you like and, if you got the same guy, you know, on your team, you know, in, in the fifth round or fourth round or whatever, that that's fine. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think once you get, you know, you start getting up to like 10 teams or something like that, I think you should definitely be able to, you know, diversify off of some players. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, this is this is something I started doing a couple of years ago, and I guess my, my bigger twist um, over the past couple of years has been doing it by the amount of dollars invested per league. Uh, you know, so if I, if I have, uh, say, Kyler Murray in a main event, uh, you know, I count that as being like $1,600 invested. Whereas if I have him in a, uh, in an NFC um, online challenge, that's a $350 investment, um, you know, just to, to kind of keep it nice and and neat and that way you know it, i can kind of see when i get into my bigger leagues what my investment has been so far in the smaller leagues of course i'm not doing the volume that nelson is so uh when i when i draft somebody in a bigger league it definitely skews my percentages a lot more than than nelson's will because he's done a lot uh more of the the online challenges and will and a lot more of the the prime times than what i'm doing so uh, but I think you were tracking your, your investment pretty much the same way, Nelson. Yeah. So I, I do that anyway. Um, the, the last few years I've been doing that where I track it by, I, I quickly look at percentage wise just to see how many, on how many teams I have a certain player. But at the end of the day, I think like dollars and cents is what matters. Um, so <clears throat> definitely, for example, if I feel like, I'm overexposed to a player, or I think I, I have just enough of a player, which, you know, can be anywhere in the like 30% range for a player that goes in the first couple of rounds. Um, I, I think, listen, I can have conviction, uh, and I and I do on my on the players I like this year and, and previous years, but to me, I'm looking at it as, listen, it's the NFL, and every player in the NFL is injury prone. And, you know, you can't predict injuries. So 
if I, if you said to me, you know, well, Nelson, you know, would you be on this particular player if you could predict the future that uh, he wouldn't get hurt? Would you have like how much exposure would you have to him? And at that point, I could say, well, you know what? I've got enough conviction in this guy in the first round that if you're telling me he he's going to go the whole season without getting hurt, then I'm going to have 80% exposure, you know, to this player. I, I could definitely do that if we eliminated injuries. But unfortunately, in fantasy football, I just think that if your first couple of uh, picks, you know, one of those players get hurt, it's going to be tough sledding to uh, make any money on that team. So, you know, to overexpose yourself to some of these early round players, I, I think that's where, you know, you, you have to be careful. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And um, as we go through this, I think we're probably going to see I'm a little bit overexposed to a couple players, which, you know, also kind of comes with the territory of doing fewer of the, you know, the prime times and uh, main events and so forth like that. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't take but a couple leagues uh, for me to look awfully overexposed, whereas Nelson, you've got a little bit more ability to, to kind of even it out, which is, you know, a, play, a place I definitely hope to get to at some point, but uh, I'm just not quite there yet. But still, I think it's uh, a neat thing to look at. And uh, why, why don't we just kind of dive in a little bit on the, the quarterbacks? We'll just kind of go sure. through position by position if that so works. Dan, sorry, not to cut you off. Sorry. Um, yeah. Just to add a little bit of context. So I, I am involved in, in a 25K league, um, which is – gets drafted on Saturday night at the NFFC. Um, so it's known as the Platinum League, and the entry is 25K. So despite even with, you know, my volume, you know, uh, getting in a 25K league and drafting whatever players I drafted on that team, it will skew things a little bit. Right, yeah, that's that's a good point too. So I'm, I'm going to guess that uh, you might end up with Lamar Jackson on that uh, 25K team. Yeah. That is correct. <laughs> okay, so let's let's just kind of go through and, uh, and, and talk about quarterback exposures. Um, you know, we can see over here on the left hand side. Um, you can see Nelson's exposures over on the right hand side. You can see my exposures. Um, Nelson listed his top six. I listed you know quite a few more than that. But uh, what what were you thinking as you were going into draft season, Nelson? Are you how do you feel about your quarterback exposures? happy with it? Uh, is that kind of what you intended to do? Or uh, what do you think about it so far? Yeah, so I start drafting pretty early. Um, I want to say my, my first drafts were probably somewhere around May, I, I think, and it was uh, some of the online championships. Um, I don't know as far as what I want to do, um, players I want to be, you know, exposed to or players that I want to own quite a bit of players that I really want to fade until I have a few of those drafts under my belt. And the reason why is after a few drafts, I can get a feel for players that I think their ADP is incorrect, um, good or bad. So if I feel a player is overvalued um, and I just don't see myself, you know, taking that particular player where they're going, they essentially become a fade uh, for me. And sometimes it has to do with I'm just not as high as the consensus on that particular player. 
and uh, the ADP doesn't make sense to me. So it's more of an ADP thing. Um, and then there's other players where I think the consensus has it wrong um, on that particular player. I'm, I'm just going to draft a, a lot of that player. So I just, it, it's, it usually takes like 10 drafts, I would say, to start getting a feel for it. And, and then that's where I get into like a comfort zone with like sweet spots, I, I call them throughout the draft. And you'll be able to tell by my player exposure uh, for quarterbacks that for me, my, like my sweet spot for quarterbacks, like in NFFC, for example, uh, those QBs were going somewhere, uh, you know, middle of the fifth to early seventh round. And that was kind of my sweet spot for quarterbacks uh, based off of that. I see your exposure like to Josh Allen, 17 and a half. I would love to have that type of exposure to Josh Allen. But I think what matters too is the format that we play in. So I know uh, you definitely dabble in NFFC, uh, but you're probably more invested over at FFPC where Josh Allen probably was going in – middle of the fourth, maybe sometimes snuck into the fifth round. And at NFFC, he was pretty much throughout draft season going in the third round. Right. And uh, both, actually, both of my Josh Allen shares, um, which are a big percentage of, of what I have, uh, I got in uh, one of them in a, in a prime time in the fourth round, believe it or not, after the game was played on Thursday night. Uh, after Thursday after, night? Game? Yes. That, that doesn't even No, it okay. doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense, but okay. Well, it you know, I I was really shocked. I passed on him the first time uh in the third round, you know, thinking no, I you know, I, I want to resist the temptation of Josh Allen. I'm going to get myself another wide receiver here. Uh Gabe Davis happened to be the wide receiver that I grabbed. And then when it comes back around me in the fourth round and Josh Allen's still sitting there, it becomes a no-brainer. So Yeah. And what's interesting, so I talked to a few people, uh, you know, Theo, uh, Dave Hubbard, um, Austin Martin. I, I talked to those guys a lot. And one of the things that I had mentioned about that Thursday night game was that Josh Allen pretty much did what we expected. Like right. That, it, it, it wasn't a Peyton Manning type of Thursday night game. If you remember years back when he was with the Broncos and he put up that monster Thursday night game where I, I forget how many touchdowns, but Demarius went off, Eric Decker went off, Julius Thomas, the tight end went off. Like all those Broncos players moved up. Um, and I think Peyton Manning might've been even drafted in the first round oh, yeah. um, at, at that point. So, Allen didn't have that type of game. So, you know, to bank the points, it was one of those things. It was more confirmation than anything. It, mm -hmm. it was it was like you and I, Dan, we're sitting, we're watching the game, and we walked away from it like, yeah, that's – I expect Allen to F shit up, you know, this year. And he – the offense looked great. Confirmed. Check – you know, you check off the box, right? And, and that's really what it was. So I didn't think, like, he was deserving of – getting pushed way up. Um, but I, I think with the confirmation, you know, that like, hey, you know, this this offense looks legit, that he would have moved up a little bit, especially, you know, just banking the points week one, too. 
Yeah, for sure. And it, in the uh, drafts I was seeing after the game happened, I mean, he was he was sometimes even going in the first round, uh, but pretty commonly in the second and third, you know, or early third round at the latest. So yeah. I, I was definitely happy to get him where I got him. Uh, you know, and I, I, I agree with your point, too, that it, it just basically confirmed things, which is why I held off from drafting him in the third. I was, you know, I felt like, well, he's an okay value here, but, uh, you know, I really wanted – I felt my, like my build was going to be better if I went wide receiver, um, yep. you know, just because there are Kyler Murray's and Lamar Jackson's available later on in the draft. And, uh, you know, as far as far as my exposures, you, you see a lot of Kirk Cousins there. Uh, that's because I did a lot more of my drafting than usual uh, in very late August and early September. And it was kind of at the point where... Uh, I was more willing to to take that second quarterback, and Cousins was at a place where, uh, you know, I thought he was a good value. Um, so Cousins is rarely my first quarterback, but he's more, much more often my second quarterback. I'd say about a third of the leagues I have him in, he's my first quarterback, and other than that, uh, you know, he's my backup uh, to some other situation. So and, Yeah, no, I, I – and, and I would – I think that's a good player to be uh, that that high on because just based on like you said, um, ADP, the offense, um, you know, it it looks like that was the projection that they were going to skew more pass heavy. Um, so yeah, it, it totally made sense to me. Yeah, I I agree. I think that was uh it was an easy pick to make. Trevor Lawrence was another one that I was making more as a you know kind of a second quarterback pick where I made him, uh, you know, and again just because he was coming super cheap, uh, wasn't really costly as far as like uh, what I was passing up on wide receiver, tight end, or uh, or running back. Gotcha. All right. Uh, anything else on your on your exposures overall? You, happy with your your quarterback exposures anyone you wish you had more of or less of yeah um i mean i would like to have a little more josh allen but that comes at an expense uh like i said um where he was going i found that sweet spot to be you know the jackson mahomes kyler jalen hurts area um those are the guys that i had uh targeted in drafts and then for you know, later in drafts, Stafford became like my Kirk Cousins, um, you know, for you, where I um, I just thought he was going late enough and based on, you know, the offense and and the playmakers and everything that um, he, he wasn't going to hurt me, you know, where he's going. They've gotten off to a little bit of a rocky start, but it's still early in the season. I, you know, I expect them to turn things around. Um, we're very similar in uh, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he was kind of like the late target kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, so like why I only went top six is only because when I have, when I draft like a Lamar Jackson or Mahomes, I don't take a second quarterback uh, on my teams. So, you know, the drop off after Stafford is like low single digits. Um, so you're going to look, you're going to, I'm going to have a little bit of Russell Wilson. I'm going to have a little bit of Derek Carr. Um, I, I had Trey Lance, uh, on teams also. 
but he was, you know, he was somewhere in this, you know, low single digits. So that that's part of the reason why I just kind of list the top six because then it, it falls off a cliff uh, from there. Yeah, and you, you can see it's pretty much the same with mine. It starts falling off pretty quick after Trey Lance. Um, I'm curious. Uh, quick question for you. Sure. So I don't see any Russell Wilson here. He is on there, but he I did not get him in any of the the mains or prime times, any of the, the really expensive leagues. I just had him in uh, I, like a couple FFPCs. Uh, so his exposure just didn't quite, uh, you know, as a percentage of my my total investment just wasn't enough to, to register. Gotcha. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, take. Just to answer, go back and answer your question. Uh, for me, I don't think I would. I don't think I would do anything different right now. Um, you know, I, I'm okay with the first two weeks of the season, and we still got a, a lot of season to play out. So I'm I'm okay. You know, at quarterback, um, there's no one really that I'm second guessing that either. You know, that I bought into or that I, you know, have very little of. Okay, sounds good. I'm pretty comfortable with mine as well. Um, I know Lamar is quite a bit lower than Kyler Murray. Uh, those two would have been a lot closer to equal, except in Dynasty, I have a lot of Lamar and barely any Kyler Murray. So uh, I was just kind of evening out my exposure a little bit uh, versus my Dynasty portfolio, which is sort of an additional thing I have to, to be looking at as well. Yeah. Yeah, for, for me, it was... Um... Lamar, I mean, was still by far the highest uh, owned QB for me yep. uh, heading into that uh, Saturday night um, right before the season uh, started. And in that Platinum League, I obviously uh, I took Lamar Jackson, how it played out, and, you know, just went, went heavier um, on him. So, Yep, totally makes sense. All right, let's... Uh... Let's move over to running yep. backs and see if I can do this. Nope, that is not it. There we go. Okay, and I, I kind of like how you had yours split out. I think that that makes a lot of sense to, to look at overall exposures and then versus the, the top six in the early rounds. Uh, I, I like how you did that. I wish I had done my, that mine that way. And I think that's something that I'll probably do in the future because uh, it just makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I, I, I break it down like that only because um, I just found myself, um, I don't know whether strategy or whatever you want to call it, but um, a, a lot of my, you know, running backs that are, you know, highly owned are going to be late round guys. And, you know, and usually some of the same guys, you know, repeated um, over and over. So it, I felt like it wasn't going to be any fun, um, you know, to just list top 12 um, you know, running backs. So I wanted to list some of the, you know, the early round guys and who I'm highest, uh, you know, as, as far as, you know, uh, Bankroll-wise, money-wise. Yeah, totally makes sense. So, how do you how do you feel about how you came out at running back? So, I probably 
I probably think that ETN is the one guy that I might end up being wrong on. And it's not because of the talent. Um, it, it's just the fact that I'm more wrong on James Robinson. Um, coming back from an Achilles uh, injury, I, I didn't expect him to be ready this quickly and for him to look this good. So that's definitely affecting uh, ETN. So, you know, if I had to go back and do it all over, uh, I'd want to be grabbing more wide receivers in that third round where he, ETN was going. Um, so that's one thing I would do differently. Um, I don't know how this happened, to be honest, but I was very high on Saquon and Swift. And I, I think I know what happened. It, it was subconsciously. In the online championships, um, as we got into August and the main events came around, I was heavily exposed to Barkley and Swift. Um, I remember looking back and Barkley was somewhere around 34% and Swift was like 32% of my teams. And I was like, ah, it's a, it's a first round running back. Um, uh, so I think subconsciously, I in the back of my mind, it was just kind of like, hey, you know, be careful. Like, I know you're bullish on, you know, th those two guys, but, you know, we, we got to slow our roll here. So as main event season, you know, came around, I just ended up uh, gravitating to the wide receivers. And, and that's the other thing, too, is I saw a shift in the ADP and the draft flow in main events. I actually noticed from the online championships at, to the main events, the main events uh, were very wide receiver heavy. So the guys that I was comfortable, let's say if I had like a top six pick and I wanted to go take, you know, Saquon, let's say sixth overall, um, which, you know, I had done in the online championships, um, maybe mix in a Eckler or something like that, right? Um the receiver coming back in the second round um, wasn't there, but at least the receivers that I liked. So they got pushed up. And then in the third round, it was just boom, like wide receiver heavy. And what you saw was like Fournette, ETN, um, Nick Chubb, like some of those running backs, I noticed they got pushed down in the, in, in the third round. And the receivers moved up. So as a few main events, you know, started going off, I changed a little bit of my strategy. And I was like, you know what? I, I want to start going wide receiver here in the first round because I actually like some of these running backs that are going in the second and third round. And I'm not going to be able to get the receivers that I was normally getting unless I push up, you know, like – Sutton was an easy three, four turn type of wide receiver. Well, in the main events, he was getting fired off in, in the early third round. Um, so at that point I had to make the determination. Um, all right. Am I going to just, you know, fire him up in the second round at this point um, and, and go with a running back? You know, what do I want to do? So 
a lot of it was dependent on, you know, just draft flow, getting a feel for it um, and how I wanted to build my teams. And, you know, I just started feeling more comfortable going with that wide receiver in the first round. And I think that's what happened with my exposure to Barkley and Swift. Cause that, that was, those were two guys when I did this exercise, um, I did it like, about a week, like a week ago or whatever. And I finished it up um, the other day. I just, you know, tweaked some things just to see, like um, I had a, a couple of guys that I ended up dropping uh, or whatever. So like, you know, for running backs, you know, uh, Haskins, I didn't have as much exposure or Breda, I didn't have much exposure to, and, and now they're higher, but, you know, currently that's, that is updated. That's, you know, that's the correct exposure that I have. Um, so back, so what I was saying is like, it was just, it was weird because like when I, when I looked at it, I'm like, I was scratching my head with Saquon and Swift. I'm like, wait a minute. I was much higher on them than 20 and 18%, but it's just how it, you know, the drafts played out, I guess. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And, and I was seeing the same thing in the NFFC, um, where it was it was getting really tough at wide receiver a lot faster than it was in the OCs, and so definitely had to adjust a little bit uh, to keep up with that. And you know, I like the way you did it because basically what you did was you you flipped your your first round and third round pick instead of going uh, running back in the first first round, you went wide receiver, and then where you would have been going wide receiver in the third round, you went uh, uh, running back. So. Yeah. Made a lot of sense. Um, if ETN can really fire off, that's going to make that strategy look really good. Uh, you know, that's, I, I noticed one thing, you know, both you and I were about the same uh, percent exposed to ETN, uh, you know, and it was, I was kind of seeing the same thing and reacting the same way. Uh, I ended up with a lot more ETN in my later drafts just because I was having to kind of change up how I was going about uh, the first couple rounds. Yeah. And he looks good. So I, I, you know, that's, that's a pick that I would say, like I said, um, if I had to go back, I, I think there's going to be good games on the horizon for him. But if I had to go back, that's probably the one thing I would change is there was a lot of, there were still wide receivers that I liked that I could push up in the third round um, and just change a, a little bit of my, you know, draft strategy because um as you can see from like the the running backs that I have high exposure to, um, in the first two rounds, I was kind of I was going wide receiver um, in in those drafts. So it makes sense, you know, as far as like you know Mixon, Dylan, Edmonds, you know, and then ETN just got you know a little bit higher because he was going in the third round. So if I started my drafts. Um, two wide receivers uh, in the first two rounds. I was looking, not targeting ETN, but he was definitely part of my plans uh, just because I, I didn't want to get too crazy and build a lot of zero running back type of uh, builds. I, I, I like having, like my, my preference honestly is, you know, t give me a running back that I can hang my hat on in the first couple of rounds and then I rattle off four or five wide receivers straight and I complete and I'll punt my RB two, And, and that's why like Edmonds, if I went down the list, 
um, on on some of these other guys. Uh, you would see Kareem Hunt is up there in the teens. Um, there's there's going to be a few other guys that uh, don't come to mind right now, but that that's kind of like where I was going with, with a lot of my uh, the way I built my teams. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I had uh, I probably did a little bit more with. Um, double running back uh, than what you did, but I didn't do, like, I didn't, like, overemphasize that uh, in quite a few drafts. It was pretty much the same thing. I'd hit running back sometime in the first couple rounds, and then pretty much all wide receivers, maybe with the occasional quarterback or tight end thrown in uh, for the next several rounds, and then come back and hit running back. You know, I'd, I'd find myself hitting running back kind of around the, the tier where, you um, you know, Devin Singletary, Rashad Penny, those kind of guys were going. Um, yeah. So, so I got a question for you. So, the Saquon uh, percentage uh, makes sense to me because he could have gone anywhere from his range during draft season was like fifth overall to early second round. Um, the, I mean, there was still drafts that I was seeing main events where he was making it into the second round. Um, so. That makes sense. That that exposure, but where did, Jonathan Taylor? How did you get to twenty seven percent on on Taylor? You're, you're going to have to tell explain that to me. Is that like, you know, you had the number one or two pick in in some higher dollar leagues or something? Well, the way that works is I, you know, again this this kind of you chalk it up to having fewer overall drafts than what you had, and as it turned out in the drafts before uh, Vegas, I had the one or two pick and I took Taylor in those spots. And then after Vegas happened, I had several where I had like the four or five pick and Taylor kept dropping to me. Um, you know, so it, I didn't necessarily intend to end up quite that exposed to him, but I was also getting kind of um, overexposed to well, not necessarily overexposed, but I, w I was pretty heavily exposed to uh, Jefferson and Cup as well. And it just seemed like I couldn't ever get my hands on uh, McCaffrey, um, you know, for whatever reason. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's that's how you get there. No, it makes sense. And then, yeah. And then um, mixing my exposure to him was a lot of that was driven from uh, auction leagues. Uh, where I was kind of, I, I was not finding myself getting much mixing. I wanted to have more exposure than I did. So I just kind of pushed him up in my auction leagues and made him a little bit more of a priority. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Is there any guys, let, let me turn it on you. Uh, what running backs do you, is there any second guessing of running backs that, you'd like to take back? And is there a running back in particular that you wish you had more of? Yeah, so I wish I had more uh, Henderson for sure. Um, I ended up with, I have a fair number of dynasty shares, so I wasn't, I, I wasn't particularly targeting him. Plus when uh, after the, the Sunday game, or after the Thursday game happened, um, Henderson started going a lot higher. So he kind of zipped straight off my draft radar for those drafts. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I, I would not have minded 
um, having some more him. Um, I was really happy with uh, my Jeff Wilson is about three times what my um, my Elijah Mitchell um, exposure was, which was about exactly as close as I could get it. I wanted to have lots of Wilson just because I didn't have a very much trust in uh, Elijah Miss Mitchell. I just took him where he dropped, but Wilson seemed like he was off in there uh, for me. Uh, would have, wouldn't have minded having a little bit more uh, Brees Hall exposure. Uh, I do okay. have a fair amount of Michael Carter, but uh, and I, I, I think I'm probably going to end up regretting the Penny and Walker exposures being as high as they are. Yeah, uh, that was a tough one um, to read because he finished last season um, on a high note and, and he looked so good. But the, the drafting of Walker and, uh, you know, just that offense in general, I, I wasn't feeling it. But what made it difficult was the fact that based on how I – my drafting style, Penny made sense for a lot of my teams where he went as my RB2. Um, but I, I, I definitely refrained from taking him. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to do, a, you know, Monday morning quarterback here on you, Dan. Um, no, no, totally fine. Just, just explaining, you know, my thought process yeah. on it uh, for sure. Um, yeah. So I, I can see, yeah, I can see that one where now it just looks like it's turning into a shit show backfield and they've got, you know, Travis Homer involved in, in, in everything. So gets Yeah, the, the Homer involvement was what I really did not foresee being near as big of a thorn. So yeah. hopefully that kind of shakes its way out. Yeah. Uh, good, good question from the audience on uh, James Cook. And I guess just to explain where my, my Cook exposure came, uh, I was finding I was able to get him very late in drafts that started happening after the Thursday games. And mm -hmm. I did have you know, several high dollar drafts that happened after that. So uh, he, he was somebody who I was scooping up like in the 12th round, 13th round, you know, things like that. Yeah. And it, at that point, you know, it's kind of like, why not? I mean, I'm not, I'm not uh, heavily betting on Zach Moss being a thing all year. And if you're going to bet against Moss being a thing all year, you probably do want to bet something on James Cook and especially if you can get him cheap. Yeah. I, my opinion of Cook is I think he's a talented kid. I think he's in the right offense. Um, he can catch the ball. So those are the positives. The negative is he was not going to just come in and supplant Singletary as like the lead running back. Um, right. The other negative is I didn't expect Zach Moss to be a thing. And Thursday night, we kind of saw that um, in that Thursday night game. And yep. so that gave me a little bit of pause. Uh, because I was drafting uh, James Cook. Um, so after the Thursday night game, it, it actually became like a reversal for me where you were getting him in the 12th, 13th round, and I still felt like 10th round, like he started going a little bit later, but not enough of a discount where I was like, you know what, I've got enough of him, and this looks like it could be a headache type of committee, but – the negative is he's going to need an injury. Um, I, I just don't foresee a scenario where, you know, come week six or seven during the season and the coaching staff is just going to say, all right, we're going with James Cook. I, I think Singletary looked good enough. 
uh, and has looked good enough that um, even if Zach Moss, you know, got out of the picture and Cook started getting involved, it, it's still going to take an injury uh, for him to, you know, see his true upside. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, for me, I was kind of in the opposite situation. I had almost no Cook uh, because I had been prioritizing signal, Singletary, and those were, again, more in the low-dollar drafts. And so then all of a sudden when, uh, you know, Singletary got pushed up a little bit after Thursday and Cooks dropped a lot. So that's that's how I ended up with a lot more James Cook, for sure, in those. Um, and then uh, ML, wondering about CEH. Uh, how, do you, how do you feel about CEH? I mean, he doesn't appear on either one of our lists. Um, I wasn't straight out avoiding him, but uh, he also wasn't a priority for me. How about you, Nelson? So he's another player that was on my radar um, based on how I built my teams and hunting RB2. And he was right there in my wheelhouse. I have a little bit of exposure to him. Um, but it, so if you had asking that question now, like looking back, the guy that I wish I had more of was him and Javante Williams. So Javante in the second round uh, would have made a lot of sense uh, based on uh, what I was doing with my teams. And then CEH was another guy that, you know, instead of taking, you know, Chase Edmonds uh, so much, you know, if Edmonds is, you know, move him down just a scotch, you know, down to like, you know, the 18% range and increase that and make that CEH, I, I would love that if I could redo it right now. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I was kind of in the same place. Um, I, I think I would take more now, but it was just, it, it, it was really difficult to buy into uh, CEH for me after the last couple of years and just kind of, you know, in general, what's been going on for several years in Kansas City where, you know, whoever is the highest drafted guy never ends up being the guy that, uh, you know, you really want to have on your team at the end of the year. So, yeah. I right. do think it's, it's interesting. Um, Eno and Jalen Warren are very similar guys for us, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Is that yeah, something we, – g- give me your thoughts on that. Because, like, my thoughts, it, it was just, you know, I'm just betting on – I was kind of fading. I, I'm not kind of. I, I faded Najee. And Connor, I didn't mind um, if he was there in the fourth round, but – I always gravitated to a wide receiver there. So I actually ended up with very little Connor. And was is this more of a hedge or a bet again, you know, on injury and, and those guys, you know, being banged up or, t- or tend to get banged up? Yeah, it was, it was exactly the same for me. I was basically, I, I bet hard against Najee. Uh, I had 0% and, you know, which is easier for me to do than for you. Uh, and I also had, I, I was very low on Connor, uh, not 0%, but very low. And, you know, to me, it just makes sense. If you're going to bet against a player that hard that's going in the early rounds, then you should probably be betting pretty heavily on the backup if there's one that you can identify. Yeah, and and that's, that's the case for me. That's kind of how I look at it, especially if I think that the backup running back is, is talented. It, mm-hmm. I mean, he's got to be good, right? You, you can't right. have, you know, some scrub, you know, back there and you're, you're grabbing him and then the starter gets hurt. It's like, okay, I faded that guy. Uh, that's not bad news for me, but, you know, 
if it turns into like this full-fledged committee, then it's kind of like, oh, you know, well, what was the point of that? Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting. We'll, we'll see what happens maybe even this week. Uh, you know, Connor's going to be a game-time decision, so we get to see, maybe we get to see uh, how they're going to uh, implement, you know, Eno and Darrell Williams. Yeah, yep, and definitely not going to lie. I grabbed uh, some Darrell Williams on waivers this week uh, to – you know whether whether I had Eno or Connor or not, I I just grabbed Durrell anywhere I could get him where he wasn't too expensive. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on to wide receivers. Let's see. Nope, I got you at ten. There we go. All right, so it's kind of backwards from before. Mine are on the. The left now and uh nelson's around the right um but what was it, what was your strategy i mean we've kind of talked overall strategy of wide receivers you were you were hitting the you know rounds one through seven you were you were heavily slanted towards right wide receivers in general right nelson yeah correct um yeah, yeah that, that was definitely my uh that was definitely my strategy um I I ended up with more um, of Bateman and Robinson than I probably wanted. Um, I didn't want to be that high on, on them. Um, you know, half my portfolio, <laughs> my my you know, in terms of money is, is invested in those guys. That's you know, that's kind of tough. So, but I will say, you know, Bateman was just a guy that I believed in. And I just kept hammering them over and over. I could have, I, I definitely could have changed up a couple of things and gone in a different direction a few times in that fourth round uh, where Bateman was available. Robinson actually was much lower, but what happened is Thursday game happened, right? Mm -hmm. So after the Thursday game, I still had quite a few uh, drafts, including. I had several main events. I had a 5K league, I, and I had the 25K league. And Robinson became a seventh, eighth round pick um, when he was essentially going, you know, at the three, four turn uh, before the Thursday night game. So that explains the 49% Robinson was, you know, I still believed in the player. That first game looked ugly, but I, I, I'm I'm just betting that it's a long season and I wasn't worried about that first week. I think, you know, things will, you know, the chemistry and with Stafford will develop as time goes on. Um, so I ended up getting Robinson in the seventh, eighth round in, um, in a few of those, you know, higher dollar leagues. So that skewed it a little bit. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's kind of a nice position to be in. I'm sure that you wish uh, you had, you had a little bit less exposure um, before the draft, so that when you added that cheap exposure after, it would kind of come out to a lower overall figure. But I mean, you know, we cannot predict the future. I mean, nobody had any idea that Allen Robinson was going to have a terrible first game. I mean, yeah. if if Allen Robinson had, had two touchdowns in that first game. Uh, you know, he would have gone screaming up into the you know the middle of the third round or maybe even the second round. Um, I mean, if if Robinson, I mean, it's this is all you know hypothetical. But if Robinson had 
eight for 100 and, and two touchdowns or a touchdown, he would have been a first-round pick, is my opinion. It would have been, you know, it would have been late first round, I think. I think yeah. people would have been like, whoa, you know, he looks great. And that's where he would have gone. But um, the way I look at it is I rather, after that Thursday night game, I rather be on a guy like at a discount than paying up for a guy. So like, you know, Robinson, seventh round, I can deal with that. Taking a guy who typically was like a fourth round pick and now you're taking him in the first round, well, that doesn't make sense. Not in a tournament. Confined leagues, totally different, right? So yep. if, if you're in a confined league, you know, uh, a 5K league, just 12 teams and that's it, there's no GPP, no tournament, then take the guy wherever you want because it's a confined league. Like there's no other leagues like it. But if you're in a main event and you've got Allen Robinson in the fourth round, why the heck would you be taking him in the first round? And I'm just using that as an, it didn't happen, but I'm just using it as an example that if he had had a big game, I was going to be out on Robinson. So, cause it just doesn't make sense. I have, I have exposure to him in the fourth round and there's so many other teams already in the main event that have Robinson in the fourth round paired with their first round pick. And now after the Thursday night game, you're surpassing that first round pick to take Robinson. It just doesn't, it doesn't add up from a, you know, a strategy standpoint. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, one thing I really like is, is, uh, how heavy you ended up on Stefan Diggs. Uh, whereas I, I ended up in a situation where in pretty much all of my high dollar leagues, um, I couldn't get to Diggs for whatever reason. Either it was, you know, you're not going to take Diggs if uh, Justin Jefferson or Cooper Cup or, uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor is still on the board, you know, which is why I ended up with a lot of them there. And then it it seemed like Diggs in almost all my drafts was going before uh, when I had picks later in the round, you know, like 10th, 11th, 12th. I didn't really hardly have anything in the, uh, you know, like, six seven eight range which was kind of the wheelhouse you needed to be in to get get a lot of digs and so you know i, w I was not happy about the fact that i got pretty well shut out of digs on uh, my expensive leagues you know unless he doesn't he, yeah, he doesn't so he, have a high percentage so he's less than 15 percent of your exposure so it wasn't yes. by design it was no. just luck of the draw luck of the draw exactly no. and that's okay. you know and that's that's one of the things when you're not doing as many leagues, you know, you can you can pretty easily, you know, get shut out on certain players if you just don't fall in the draft order uh, right to get them. Because another one that I got shut out like that on was Amon Ross St. Brown. Basically, the in the leagues that I had, um, I either had to have taken him in the early third, which to me was too early. And by the time it would get back to me in the late fourth, he was always gone. There was one league where I could have gotten Amon Ross St. Brown. I took Gabe Davis instead. Definitely would like to have that pick back. But, um, you know, I, I really only had one chance at him. Uh, so I ended up, you know, pretty well shut out on him. Yeah, that, that's it. So let me ask you this, because um, if there's a player that – because throughout draft season, I am updating – you know, my portfolio and seeing where I'm at with players. Um, 
at any point, so I know you did this exercise, but did you do this after the season started or do you, do you have, are you pretty aware with, with where you're at with players? Yeah, I'm pretty aware, you know, since I have fewer leagues um, of where I'm at. And once I started drafting, you know, main events and so forth, that was, that was where I just couldn't get my hands on digs anymore. Uh, you know, and I, I guess I could have, um, you know, foregone a, a Justin Jefferson. I think I had, uh, I believe I did have one, uh, well, let's see, I had the, I had the 105 and I took, uh, I ended up taking Jonathan Taylor there with Diggs still on the board. Uh, but in hindsight with my, my Taylor exposure probably would have been better to go Diggs. Um, but it was just kind of a, in the, the spur of the moment, you see Taylor sitting there and I, you know, yeah. I got big eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's what I was going to say to you is if we, you know, looking back, uh, you know, Saquon, and Taylor, you know, Taylor being 27%, Saquon was 33. That's, that was my takeaway from it was, okay, if you, you know, if you lower those guys just a little bit and, and now you uh, replace them with digs, you know, where you took them, you know, now you, you're not balanced, but because you're still heavy exposure to Taylor and Saquon, but at least now you have some digs. If yeah. you, if you were really like, you know, if you were into them, you know? Yeah. And I, and I definitely was, I mean, I wasn't like huge into digs, but I was like, you know, he's a, he's a great pick anywhere that I'm, you know, where I feel stuck in those, you know, those middle picks. Um, you know, I had a good amount of confidence taking digs there, but you know, like I say, I just didn't, didn't end up with the picks where he was falling to me really without kind of reaching for him a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, so it just, it, it made it a little bit more difficult. You know, I probably should have reached for him at least once, um, you know, and, th and that's my regret. And the same thing on uh, Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, I knew I was shut out on him. I knew I already had some Gabe Davis, but, um, you know, this was after the Thursday game. I was like, well, I'm just, I'm going to take the sure points here. Yeah, I, that's the one guy, if we're looking at wide receivers, um, He's definitely the the one guy that I look back that I I wish I had been uh, drafting more. Um, he he was a guy that I wasn't really interested in uh, early in the draft season, and I I basically you know faded him, and mm -hmm. and then I I I just started mixing him in you know just hearing from a friend of mine that you know offense is going to run through him, and I was like damn I okay I. I wasn't expecting that, but that's, you know, good enough for me. I'm going to have to, you know, take him here in a few main events. So I've got him on a few teams, but man, you know, that's, that's one that I would like to have back uh, for sure. He, he's making me look silly on that one. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it was really easy to spin the story that, you know, he was, he was going to be an okay pick, but not a great pick, you know, just based on the, the competition for targets in Detroit. Uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, he's, you know, we've, we've seen, uh, players, you know, finish off really strong to end the season. And then, you know, they start the season the next year and all of a sudden it's, it's completely faded away, you know, like, like what if he'd have been like Rashad Penny who, you know, was sizzling hot 
to end the season last year, and then this year has done virtually nothing. You know, that could have just as easily been a Monrose Brown. Yeah. So. No, absolutely. I kind of get where you're coming from there. I, I like where you're at with Tyreek. Uh, that would be the other player. Um, you know, fit, fits my style of drafting and, and everything. So I, I would have liked to have a little more Tyreek and, and, and mixed him in uh, to more drafts. So I like where you're at there. Um, seems I got like on him late too. You got him on, yeah, late. Got, yeah. Got, got on him late. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was underexposed. Me, uh, me too. Me too. Um, let's see here. I like the Drake London one. Uh, that kid just looks like he's a baller. Um, Olave, I like Burks, Pickens. So, like, we're aligned there uh, with with those guys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for me, it was you know it was Nico Burks and Pickens. You know, I they were going late enough that um, I didn't know how it was going to happen, but. I love betting on talent, and I thought that uh, those guys were were great talents. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that plays out. Um, they've shown flashes of it for sure. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, kind of my strategy on those because I have, you know, if you look at mine, you see uh, Pickens, Olave, Burks, uh, London you know, all right up there at the very tops of my exposures. And then, uh, you know, you throw Ayuk in there. Basically, um, you know, these are what I would call bully wide receiver picks where I was already wide receiver heavy. If I had my top three or four wide receivers already in the house and I had the opportunity to uh, take a Burks or a Pickens or a Lave, uh, I was doing it because I didn't feel like the, the running backs that I was passing up on were, you know, just can't miss prospects or anything like that. I, you know, I felt like I could probably cobble together something at, at running back too if I needed to, yeah. uh, just a little bit later in the draft. But, but grabbing guys like that, you know, where if, if one or more than one really hits, uh, you know, and my other wide receivers all do what I think they're going to do, you know, I'm I'm going to be plugging in four wide receivers every week that are that are just going to be curb stomping a lot of the rest of the the league. No, absolutely. That that's what's interesting too is like um, how the draft season just you know was playing out, and obviously I'm aware of you know where I'm at with receivers, but I felt like again like the Robinson thing, like Diggs, you know I was high on from the beginning, um, so that kind of explains you know that because I ended up with him in high dollar leagues also. Um, the Bateman one is that's the one that like I was trying to figure out. Um, it, he became a default pick because I, I mean, I don't really want to. That's not how I intended it to play out with the fifty-two percent. Um, so that's something you know to go back on. You know, I I kind of wish that I was mixing in other receivers in the early going uh, of drafts, uh, early going of draft season, um, so that I wasn't that, ex- you know, exposed to them. And then as some of these big money drafts got, you know, came around, it, it seemed like no one was really like on him, 
Like he wasn't a guy that you had to like push up. He, he just kind of, when, when I let him go, he, he fell to like the fifth round of, of drafts. And so like, he's the one guy that I wish that I had a little less of and I had mixed in a couple of other guys. Um, but it, again, it, that was a mistake on my part of just um, default picking him. Um, I'm still high on him. Like I, I, I love the kid. I think he's going to be good. You know, he's started off well. Um, but, yeah, that, that's the one pick I, if I could have back. And then, like I said, uh, Tyreek and St. Brown were the guys that if I could, uh, you know, add them to a few extra teams, it's probably where I would go with that. How, how about you? Where, besides Diggs, what, what else? Yeah, Diggs, uh, St. Brown, definitely wish I had more of. Um, and actually, Rashad Bateman, I I have a fair amount of him in Dynasty, and I got uh, I got a few of them in uh, the the football guys and the RotoWire OCs. You know, yeah. so he doesn't he doesn't show up in the you know over fifteen percent. Though I do have a, a a good number of shares of him. I just didn't really get him in enough. Uh, of the the really high stakes ones, uh, which is something I wish I could have corrected. Now, let me ask you a question because I know FFPC. I ended up drafting um, a few main events there, mm-hmm. um, and Hopkins went later in the FFPC than NFFC. And obviously, you can see that I'm uh, I've got you know pretty good exposure to him, and I don't I don't see him on your list. Is, is he a fade for you? No, he wasn't a fade. Um, I, I do definitely have exposure to him, just not enough to hit the, the 15% gotcha. threshold here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But he's, he, he's, he was definitely a part of my game plan. He was yeah. somebody else, you know, that kind of, you know, he almost fit into that same bully category as Olave, Burks, and those guys because, you know, you feel like after six weeks are up and all of a sudden Hopkins enters your lineup, you know, then boom, you've got another stud starter, hopefully. Now, other question I have, because like I said, this episode for me is, um, I think it's informative for, you know, both of us, anyone, you know, listening. Um, So like, I'm trying to get information from you too, is like Sutton, I don't see Sutton on here, but I see Judy and I didn't see Javante Williams. Were you... What was your thinking around the Broncos offense? Okay, so and, and um, Wilson, I didn't see Wilson either on the list. Yeah, I, I, I did not have as much Wilson, um, just because I wasn't usually looking quarterback where Wilson was going. Uh, I guess is the main reason. Either I already had him, or I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna drop down a tier and I'll be fine with, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins or, uh, you know, Matthew Stafford, somebody like that. Um, so that, that's why I didn't have as much, um, Judy was kind of the cheaper option between him and Sutton. So it just kind of fell the way my drafts fell. A lot of times I was, I was finding Sutton was going right before I was picking. So I was having trouble getting to him, but Judy seemed to always be falling into my lap. Um, and, and kind of the same thing on Javante Williams. Um, he, he tended to go in the middle of the second round most of the time and, you know, like if I had a late pick, he would never last that late. And if I had an early pick, it always seemed like there was somebody better to take. So 
Um, I, I, I don't feel great about my lack of exposure to him too. Um, I'm not totally, you know, like a hundred percent fade on him, but I'm also not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not where I would like to have been. Gotcha. All right. Should we, uh, hit tight ends real quick? Yeah. Let's hit right. the tight ends. What do we got here? There we go. Okay. So again, we're kind of backwards here. Um, mine, mine are over on the left and uh, Nelson's are on the right. But um, so to, it looks like from your strategy, you were kind of doing the same thing as me, uh, hitting a lot of the late round tight ends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the easy way to put it. Um, neither Definitely one of us are, are heavy on the early guys. Yeah, for sure. I, um, yeah, again, I, I wish you know, looking back, um, I actually did try to make an effort of acquiring a little bit of Waller and Kittle um, mm -hmm. where I could. I liked Pitts and Andrews. Um, my issue was I, I couldn't get myself to pull the trigger. In NFFC, they were going third round. In FFPC, they were going basically like at the one-two turn or second round of yep. main events. And I just couldn't pull the trigger there because I wanted Saquon, Swift, Diggs, Devontae Adams, um, you know, Michael Pittman, uh, Sutton, you know, players like that. So I knew I wasn't going to get those guys very much, but Waller and Kittle went in, in an area that I could forego wide receiver at that spot and add a tight end that had the upside to, to finish as a tight end one. Um, just, you know, made the effort, but uh, couldn't do it. You know, my, my style is more tight end, and I try to add a couple and, and see if I, can, uh, if I can hit, you know, on a top 10 tight end. That, that's all I'm looking for. I'm not looking for, you know, the uh, total home run. I'm, I'm just looking to hit a double. Uh, with my late tight end strategy. Um, I will say um, right when the season started, right after draft season, Jawan Johnson and Brevin Jordan can be flipped. So um, I had about, you know, 27% Brevin Jordan. And after week one, I traded him out for Jawan Johnson. So okay. that this is current. Uh, gotcha. that. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, obviously if you look at mine, you're going to see, um, you know, I was nearly 50% on Brevin Jordan. And a lot of that was just basically because I was, you know, I have a fair amount. I, I have more FFPC, uh, you know, it's a higher percentage of my total than yours. And so the tight end position becomes a little bit more important there. I t typically draft three tight ends um, in FFPC leagues, especially if I'm drafting late tight ends. If I, you know, if I draft somebody early like Waller, I'm a lot more likely to just go with two tight ends. But uh, Brevin Jordan was basically free, and he was just like one of those, you know, those bets that I was able to make in the, you know, when everybody else is drafting kickers and defenses. I'm a little bit early. I'm just taking Brevin Jordan, thinking, you know what, if he pans out, great. Uh, I'm in fantastic shape. And if he doesn't, you know, he's the world's easiest drop. So. Yeah. 
<laughs> as he's turned out, yes, he is the world's easiest drop. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's how kind of how I took it. I said, you know what, I could be patient with him, but I was like, you know, these tight ends that are on the wire are going to dry up, and um, I I found my my new favorite late tight end in Jawan Johnson, so swap yeah. them out. Absolutely, I did a lot of that too. If if we were looking at my current exposures, Jawan Johnson would be up there probably at about the same place, about thirty percent. Yeah. Um, and Brevin Jordan is down to about 5% now, you know, but basically it was real easy after that first week to start dropping Brevin Jordan, because as soon as they, they, um, they brought in, uh, OJ Howard, you know, kind of the, the whole idea behind Brevin Jordan, that he would be able to soak up all the, um, uh, you know, the tight end targets in Houston and that it was quite possible he could even end up being the second most targeted player on the team that kind of fell apart. And, you know, once once your narrative, you know, that you're using to draft a player falls apart, I think, uh, you know, you got to decide, is it worth even being into this player anymore, especially if they're, there's somebody, you know, real late like that, where. Uh, yeah. There's three schools of thought with, with that, Dan. And I think one, do you remain patient with the player and say, okay, I just got to be patient with this guy. Um, two, you remain stubborn on the player where it's slapping you in the face. You, you see all the warning signs, but you're just stubborn because whatever, you don't want to be wrong or whatever it may be, the case may be. Or three, hey, I was wrong. Let's, it's time to, you know, send them packing and come up with plan B. So those are really the three schools of thought in you know, when you're looking at players and what to do with them. Um, so I, I think we can, we can probably say that, you know, Brevin Jordan for us is, uh, is the guy that we went with option number three. We, we kind of saw the writing on the wall and, and uh, it was time to move on from him. Yep, for sure. Another one that I had a lot of exposure to that has since exited the lineup almost complete or exited my rosters almost completely was Trey McBride, and that was just kind of a hedge against um, the calf. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, last round of a draft, why not grab grab McBride? You know, so if I didn't get Brevin Jordan, I probably grabbed McBride. Um, you know, yeah. I don't I don't think I had both of them on any one roster, but um, you know, between the two, it was yeah, almost seventy percent of my rosters had one or the other. So yeah, I, I like what you did with Everett. Um, he, he looks like he's going to turn out to be a great late uh, tight end pick. Um, he's definitely a guy, again, I, I was into the late tight ends. Um, so he's a guy that if I had to do it all over again, I wish I, I had mixed him in a little bit more. Um, I got him on a few teams, but not, not enough to make an impact. Uh, so uh, missed the boat on that one. Um, I'm trying to think. Like I said, if I could have mixed in Waller and like Kittle's missed the first couple of weeks, but I still, if I went back, I would have liked to add more Kittle and more Waller. Um, so th those are the three players, you know, Kittle, Waller, and Everett for me. Um, less Cole Komet, um, yeah. you know, less zeros, you know, in my starting lineup would be nice. Uh, how about you? Where are you at? 
Yeah, um, same thing. I mean, Everett and Ingram just kind of were, were in my wheelhouse of where I was really starting to pivot heavy into tight end. So that's where I grabbed a lot of them, uh, you know, and on on more teams than I'd probably like to admit, they they were my number one uh, tight end. Um, I didn't grab anybody until then. So, uh, but a lot of times I was also, you know, comfortable taking them as like, a, you know, the backup tight end. You know, like if I had a, you know, Kittle or Waller, um, I felt very comfortable taking Everett or Ingram and just calling it good at tight end uh, with those two players. Yep. And uh, definitely wish I had more Fryermuth. I faded him too hard. Uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, th- I think he's going to end up being a, a very solid player this year. And my Mark Andrews, um, interestingly enough, um, some of that is driven by uh, my auction leagues which were FFPC style. So, um, you know, they, they emphasize the tight end with the, the tight end premium scoring. And for whatever reasons, Andrews was going a lot cheaper than he should have in auctions compared to like uh, in a draft. I mean, basically he was like uh, more of a, you know, if you, if you lined up the, the auction dollars spent, he was more of a late second or even early third round pick. Um, in that auction, you know, if you turned it yeah. into a snake draft. Um, so that was, a, that was a value I just couldn't pass up. Gotcha. All right. And um, anything on you? Uh, any other, any other tight end uh, nuggets? No, I mean, you know, like I said, my, my typical, that's why you see the exposure to these, you know, low level tight end options is uh, that, you know, I, I punt tight end and and you, you try to grab two and, and see what happens. So um, that, that's kind of where a, a lot of the waiver wire work, uh, you know, goes to each week. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, one of these guys can turn out to be a semi-consistent option that I can put in the starting lineup. Um, yeah. Not, yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would like to point out that of my 9.1% uh, David Njoku, I had 0.0 starting last night. I, I was gonna I was gonna ask you that, but I I didn't want to put a salt on the wound because that was kind of obvious. Of you know, people that had Njoku on their roster probably found the their second or third tight end to play over Njoku based on the first two weeks, and then. Judging by some of the drops uh, that I saw in my leagues, uh, Nujoku is going to go for a shitload of money next week because <laughs> he was dropped quite a bit. Oh, very, very true. Very true. All right. Well, I think we've covered the major positions here, Nelson. Uh, we're, ar- we're already over an hour, so probably better yeah. let you uh, get back to it and uh, let, let our listeners uh, do the same. But um any any final thoughts on the the whole process um anything else um no i mean if if anyone has you know questions or whatever they can they can hit me up um if they're interested um on anything that we covered on on the show um but yeah i i just i i think it's an interesting process because like I said, you know, I'm, I'm definitely someone that, um, you know, is very well aware of throughout draft season, you know, day to day, week to week, 
uh, where I'm at, you know, with players and, you know, that balancing act, um, you know, not to get, you know, too carried away on the early round uh, type of players. Yeah, absolutely. This was a, this was a lot of fun for me, um, you know, to just kind of hear you going through your process and, um, and, and definitely very insightful for me as well. You know, like, um, I, I, I've, I've picked up several things where I'm like, I, I need to write that down when we're done here and make sure that I carry that over in the next draft season. Uh, you know, especially the way you handle the early rounds. Um, you know, I, I would like to do a little bit better at that. I think you did a really nice job uh, with how you handled those early rounds, though. So uh, thank you. Thanks much for coming on, Nelson. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yep, absolutely. And on that, we will let you guys get out of here and uh, we will go on with our day. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Got it.